If you have primary school-aged kids or grandkids, make sure Vision Kids is part of their daily routine. Vision Kids! Vision Kids is a 24-7 online radio stream featuring the ever-popular Adventures in Odyssey. Hi, this is Chris. Welcome to Adventures in Odyssey. Plus other world-class radio dramas, kids' music and friendly voices. G'day, Vision Kids. Vision Kids is streaming now in the Vision app and online at visionkids.org.au. You can also tell your smart speakers to play Vision Kids Radio. If you don't already have the Vision app on your phone or tablet, you can download it for free when you search Vision Christian Media in your app store. Vision Kids. Another way we're helping the whole family look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. A conversation that is coming up over this next hour, and I always like to say this when we're tackling some sensitive topics, but there is a warning for parents who have small children around. We'll be talking about some adult concepts today and some challenges around especially the issue of pornography, and some will want to protect little ears. So take that as a little warning if you do have little ones around right now. We've often drawn attention to the dynamic changes that are happening here in Australia, even to the point of saying we are in the grip of a sexual revolution, taking things a little deeper today on things that are fueling and shaping the sexuality of men, women and children. Our special guest today has done the only Australian research on sexual addiction, and its devastating impacts on intimate partners. The research looks at physical, emotional, sexual, relational and spiritual abuse, as well as the changes to, as a whole, our outlook on life. And our guest today says Christian people are affected by sexual addiction often, and they suffer in silence. Dr. Faye Sayed is one of the only few specialised therapists on this topic and the only one with a PhD on sex addiction. Her latest book is called The Pain and Betrayal Trauma Caused by Sexual Addiction, An Unwanted Gift That Keeps Giving. Faye, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you very much for having me. Faye, before we get into the nitty-gritty of our conversation today, uh, for listeners, uh, I mentioned you have a PhD in sexual addiction and you've also got a a qualification as a as a dental surgeon so it's two doctorates uh well congratulations on such amazing achievements but i couldn't help but think you know you've got a a counseling practice these days but even dentists are in their own ways counselors aren't they it's just that you can't talk back you're sitting there and you're you're in the dental chair and you've got (laughs) your you know you've got your mouth open you've got hands in your mouth and the dentist is often saying amazing things to you but you can never respond so does does dental surgery and counseling go a little bit hand in hand yes absolutely i had 25 years of practicing counseling on silent clients (laughs) (laughs) and i know listeners can hear a little accent there. Uh, give us your uh, nationality history here. Yes. So I was um, born in Persia, Iran, and then at a young age, I moved to Sweden. So I went to high school, college, university, before I found my way to Australia. Now, people used to laugh 
at the thought of the caricature of the sex addict. And, uh, you know, as a man, I can remember growing up and, uh, you know, this was almost something that people would wear as a badge and uh, they, would, they would say, oh, you know, I'm a sex addict, uh, those sorts of things. People laugh about some of those things of the past, but you and your research have taken this to a new depth where the laughter dissipates because those who are close to the person who's suffering sexual addiction are often the ones who are bearing the trauma and the pain of that. How do you describe the way you think about sexual addiction today? Until I started researching and studying such individuals, I, like everybody else, I thought this is normal, this is a laughable matter. I was normalizing it like the rest of us in the society. However, after years of research, now I know not only these individuals suffer themselves with the powerlessness over such behaviors, the devastating impact extends to their intimate partners, to their family members, anybody around them, workplaces, anybody who comes across these individuals is impacted. But the, individ the intimate partners suffer from what I found to be called betrayal trauma, identical to PTSD. And yeah, it's devastating. And those devastating impacts, actually, there is no end to that. And it impacts them in every aspect of life. Talk to us about powerlessness over your sex drive. Uh, the things that are fueling uh, the trauma that comes to the loved ones of someone who moves into this sexual addiction. Uh, when you use the word powerless, some will say, well, you know, uh, are we just then at the mercy of what happens to our loved ones around us? Do we have no control? Is there no way out of this dark corner? What are your thoughts about this feeling of powerlessness? So the powerlessness is what these individuals suffer from, powerlessness over lust, because they are what I call them dopamine drunks. These individuals, they cannot just switch off, stop watching pornography or doing compulsive sexual behaviors. They need serious, serious detoxification and help. However, um, the root cause of sexual addiction always stems from early life negative experiences, trauma in their early lives, uh, attachment trauma or coming from uh, dysfunctional family systems. Um, however, there is help. Um, but, you know, as I said, until they reach the, the point of wanting to be helped, they are powerless and they will do compulsive sexual behaviors that has got escalation and they has, they ha they has, um, it has tolerance building in the brain. So you have to understand um, the accessibility, availability and affordability of pornography in the society right now, the normalization of it in the society and also the taboo and the stigma of us having a conversation about it is causing these individuals to develop more and more addiction, uh, not knowing where to go to seek help, um, and also their partners to be suffering with this powerlessness. Powerless over lust. Yes. And uh, this is one of those areas 
that as Christian believers, we should have a little more empowerment because we, in some sense, hope that when we come to Christ, when we we submit ourselves to him and we then are aware that lust is an issue. And, you know, lust, uh, one of those seven deadly sins even, it is a issue that everyone deals with. Some deal with it better than others. As Christians, is there something in our toolbox which actually draws attention to this that can bring that lust under control? Um, yes. Our churches, the the people who are active in church, the leaders, the pastors, they just need to start opening their ears and pay attention. This problem exists and these individuals need help. And my research found when these individuals and especially the impacted intimate partners, they sought support and help from their church community. They were told to go and forgive and forget and pray and everything is going to be all right. They need to understand, the church community needs to understand, yes, prayers help. This is our weapon. However, these individuals need expert helps. Their partners need trauma um, treatment and trauma support. Um, And I have seen um, almost 75% of my patients are Christians. And when they come to active recovery, actually those Christian individuals, they recover faster. And they stay recovered more permanently because they have got this strong weapon, Jesus, and their faith. So that's a big percentage of your practice uh, that are Christians who are coming to you for help. And they're coming to you because you're a specialist and they think they can find extra help by talking to someone who is well-researched in this area and has a pathway out of the addictive behaviors so that they can find a a more holistic way of approaching their future. I would imagine that there'd be stories that you'd be able to tell of saved marriages, of people who have beaten their addiction, they've gotten things back on track, but undoubtedly there'll be a story or two in there where uh, it's a disaster and people haven't been able to get back on track. How do you find the percentage of people who might be recovering well and those who simply crash and burn? Very good question. Sexual addiction is identical to heroin and alcohol addiction. Any addiction is the same. It's the um, need and the dependency to have those surges of dopamine in the brain. So addiction is about denial and delusion. Denial that I have got an addiction and delusion that this is normal and I can stop whenever I want to. So when they come to me, majority of the times is the intimate partner who has discovered or has been disclosed a little bit of a reality. So when they come to me, if the individual is ready to reach sobriety, and if they are, especially if they are Christian, I mean, um, sexual addiction doesn't discriminate. Anybody in any profession and faith can be impacted, Um, depending on their readiness. I have got a couple in their 90s, beautiful Christian couple. They came to me four months ago. And you can imagine this intimate partner living with a husband of 60 plus years. 
just finding out what he has been doing in secret all these years. She was beyond traumatized. She was in massive amount of pain. And in a short amount of time, these individuals, at the end of May, they are renewing their vows again. This time, she knows what she's saying yes to, and he knows he means those vows this time. And unfortunately, I have got the other ones who are not success stories. When the addiction has got a very strong hold on them, and they, they, they are not ready. They have already chosen the addiction over sobriety and their relationships. Is it when a discovery happens that a couple can move into some level of recovery? Because while all those secrets are there, uh, there doesn't appear to be any sort of a problem. But when the discovery happens, then you might have a blow-up, I imagine, uh, in the family, and uh, the betrayal comes in here. Uh, what are your thoughts here for uh, for when the time to seek help is right? As soon as a discovery has happened, it's normal to be faced with a tsunami of emotions and symptoms, uncertainty, hopelessness, all of it. However, when they reach out and if somebody is looking for holistic, true recovery, the first step is to find a specialist and with the help of the specialist to do what we call a therapeutic disclosure. When the whole truth in a non-traumatic way and in a ther therapeutic way is presented to the intimate partner, because I believe until the truth is all out, that individual will not reach sobriety and recovery. They need to be free. Once that disclosure, the truthful disclosure has been done, the true recovery and healing for both of them begins and they can actually rebuild and restore a relationship that they always wanted to have. But these secrets were holding that relationship back from ev evolution and from growth. Uh, your own personal opinion here, because I'm not sure how you might research this, but when those statistics will show very high levels of people whose marriages end in divorce, and oftentimes uh, there'll be all sorts of anecdotes about things that went wrong and he betrayed me or she betrayed me, uh, so betrayal is a part of it. How much of that do you think comes back to this uh, overpowering uncontrollable lust and then discovery that the person I've married isn't the person I thought I was marrying and then the trust is breached and then there's separation and ultimately divorce. How much of that do you think is caused by this uncontrollable lust? Right now, majority of it. I could say almost nine out of ten people who knock on my door for anything that initially is not pornography or sex addiction related. They tell me, oh, we, we have lost the zest in our relationship. Oh, he's disconnected. I don't, I did it. Everything is lovely, but I just cannot put my finger on it. Something is missing. And I dig and I dig and I dig. And hey, I find that this is powerlessness over lust that is causing these issues majority of it. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision Christian Radio. 
Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. A sensitive topic we're into today, talking about lust, talking about pornography, talking about betrayal in relationships, especially when the betrayal has been discovered. Our special guest is Dr. Faye Sayed. She's an expert on this topic, and we are opening our talkback lines for your calls. Before we take some calls, Faye, let me ask you about the church, uh, people who are pastors, people who are higher up, those who are you know, in control of a whole bunch of churches or those at the very top, and they're concerned about relationships, they're concerned about marriages, they're concerned about a biblical foundation for how relationships work well. What's gone wrong here? Is there something that needs to be done with those church leaders? Absolutely. I would say fear. They are fear-based and motivated by fear, and this is not serving our church communities well. Based on Barna Group's research only in 2015, that is pre-pandemic, 70% of the pastors were in bondage with this addiction themselves. And after pandemic, the numbers have surged. I think it's time for the church to start paying attention. Let's remove the taboo. Let's remove the stigma and judgment from this topic, from the individuals and their suffering partners and say, hey, everybody's welcome. Let's have a chat about it. Let's gather some expertise and see what we can do to offer the individuals and their traumatized partner. I have offered my services to the major churches. Unfortunately, just a few have accepted it. It's like everybody says, I don't want to know, I don't want to know. And it's time for us because families are suffering. We need to start having a conversation. Uh, There's no difference between non-Christian and Christian. All people are affected by the challenges that lust brings in our lives, and particularly through this issue of pornography that's fueling the lust. We're taking calls. Let's go through as many calls as we can before news. Let's take a call from Margaret, who is in Brisbane. Hello, Margaret. Welcome along. Good morning, and thank you so much for uh, tackling a very... Uh, full-on topic that is impacting a lot of households. And I believe there's probably a lot of children who are suffering as well. Uh, Margaret, when you touch on children, uh, sometimes we say we have no real control over what adults do with their time, but our children, we need to fight for their ability to contain their innocence. Uh, Your thoughts here for for Margaret, Faye. Margaret, thank you very, very much. This is amazing, um, you know, um, statement and, you know, a reminder. Yes, the availability, affordability and accessibility of pornography on the smartphones. And we know based on research, almost every 10 year old person, little kid, little person has got in a smartphone. It's just the pornography is just a click away. And unfortunately, if the brain, the undeveloped brain of a a child is exposed to pornography, it is as if you are injecting them with heroin, high dosage of heroin. It's very addictive. And we need to start protecting our kids because the numbers are surging. And yes, this is very, very important to pay attention to. Uh, Margaret, did you have something more to add? I also had uh, a question re-adults. And it seems to be 
largely male that are impacted by this addiction because they seem to have it in their DNA. I just wanted to find out if there's any particular signs or symptoms that you could say that could pinpoint it so that you could narrow it down because I believe many um, marriages are suffering at this particular point and as you say, the partners are suffering in silence. So just wondering if there's any way you could sort of narrow it down to whether this is possibly a, a, a problem or not. Because when people choose to disconnect and choose a screen over interaction with another human being like wife, um, you don't know what they're doing. <laughs> That's it. Uh, good thoughts there, Margaret. Uh, Faye, what are your thoughts here? Absolutely. What a brilliant question, Margaret. Once again, thank you. Signs that your partner may be powerless over lust. One, even when they sit next to you, you feel that they are physically there, but they are actually not there. They are not present. You talk and they say, ah, and then a couple of days later you say, so did you do what I asked you to do two days ago? No, you didn't tell me that. It's like they always suffer from amnesia. When you have intimacy with them, you will never ever feel intimate. You feel that they are not with you. You feel that they are objectify you when you have sexual intimacy. You don't feel connected. There is something that is missing in your relationship, but you cannot put your finger on it. Often you feel like it's me. Let me change this about me. Maybe if I talk like this, maybe if I make myself look like this, maybe he's going to pay more attention. They are secretive with their phones and their computers. Um, they are not reliable timekeepers. However, and they stay up. They go to bed before you or after you. Um, um, so these individuals, I must say, they suffer from addiction. Once they reach recovery, they turn into most beautiful human beings, partners and parents, if they are willing to receive recovery. However, before that, there are many, many um, signs. One other sign that is important to mention is, regardless of their age, they will have performance issues or erectile dysfunction. And majority of the partners, they always blame themselves. If I am more sexy, what if I watch pornography with him? What if I allow him to do what he has, you know, probably heard or seen in the movies? Um, they are flirty sometimes, these men. Um, and um, yeah, they, they receiving approval from others uh, is important. And they got a different persona out there that they have um, with their close family um you know, uh, network. So, yeah, your gut will talk to you. Try to listen to your intuition and don't be afraid to ask questions. Margaret, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. I did say uh, very happy to take some anonymous calls today. Let's take a call from someone who wants to remain anonymous. Hello, welcome along. Hi. Um, look, uh, about a year ago, my husband uh, took his life, and I've since found out that he um, has been doing the wrong thing by me and um, cheating and, and many other things, and it's completely traumatised me, and I just don't know how to 
get on with my life now and I've accepted it and I've forgiven him, but I just see yeah, I feel very traumatised by it. Well, thank you for your call. And undoubtedly, there'll be probably lots of listeners who can relate to this. Either that's happened to them personally or they know someone who is going through a really traumatic situation after the breakup of a marriage. Faye, your thoughts for our caller? I am so sorry for your experience. Um, Being betrayed by your intimate partner, the one and only who's supposed to um, have your back, care for you and be your other half, um, while they are alive is hard, let alone if he has passed away and no longer you can take your anger, your heartache, your grief to them. Your grief is multi-layered right here and right now. And I do validate your pain. Um, unfortunately, you do suffer from um, trauma. You, do, you need to have some grief processing. And you need to process all those unanswered questions, normally the why questions. You, I, I really invite you, highly invite you to seek professional help. Um, you have got um, a bumpy road ahead of you to pass through the multi-layered of the grief um, that you need to process, um, particularly with the professional. It's it's a very hard journey, and my heart my heart actually breaks for you. I'm so sorry. Faye, want to keep taking calls, so why don't we do that? And uh, we'll let listeners develop where our conversation is going. Let's take a call. Barbara is in WA. Hello, Barbara. Welcome along. Yeah, hi, how you going? Good, um, Look, um, look, I have uh, left that marriage because of domestic violence, and um, but to get to find someone for prayer and and counselling, no one wants to talk about it. Like mine was in the ten percent, uh, you know, because I was told as a Christian, you you don't leave your husband. Um, but you know the, the the Bible clearly states that God doesn't like violence, but this is sort of stigma attached, and I just yeah, I just want to be free from that sort of that um, and get prayer for the uh, uh, you know the spirit spouse and things like that that come with all this pornography and, and, and Jezebel and all this sort of thing. Barbara, yeah. uh, I know that when there is violence in a marriage and when there is the safety of one partner at risk, uh, we always say that separation is a useful tool in how you might resolve those things before it goes on to divorce. But uh, but let me just bring Faye in here. Faye, this is perhaps a common yeah. story too. What are your thoughts for Barbara? Um, thank you, Barbara, for your question. Um, and again, I believe that sexual addiction, when it's happening in a relationship, it's a very severe form of abuse. So, And for you, um, it has been twofold. You have had probably other form of um, domestic violence as well as the sexual addiction in it, which makes it even more difficult. Um, Yes, and again, um, you need professional help. You need to know that I don't think 
I don't believe that our Heavenly Father is approving of um, any human being to stay in an abusive relationship um, and suffer. So, um, yeah, but I agree with you. We need to have a conversation to remove the taboo and the stigma and to freely being able to talk, um, you know, in the society and especially in our um, church communities. I totally agree with you. Faye, while we've got Barbara on the phone, uh, one thing that Barbara said was it's hard to find someone to confide in and uh, you used the words, Barbara, someone to pray with, because we mentioned that prayer was going to be one of those tools in the toolbox. If you can't find someone to yeah. pray with, it's it's hard to help share that burden. Absolutely. And I think the validation, Barbara, what you are um, seeking is somebody to validate your pain, somebody to sit and hold your hand and not to gaslight you. I, In my research, I've found it was Plenty of professional gaslighters out there for sufferers like you, Barbara. Oh. Yes. And this is, again, yeah. professional betrayal and a spiritual betrayal. So, yes, the, we need, oh, you, you need somebody told. to, yeah, to validate you, to support you through your trauma and your grief. And sometimes somebody who can give you a safe space to sit with you in your emotions and create a space for you. That's all you need without judgment and without shaming you. Barbara, thank you so much for calling through and just sharing that. Uh, Brought out that beautiful bit of wisdom Mm. there from Faye. Barbara, thank you so much for your call. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. You can help direct where our conversation goes today. Let's take another call. Rebecca is in Dolby in Queensland. Hi, Rebecca. Welcome. Oh, hi. How are you? Good. Rebecca, what are your thoughts? Okay, so I'm just going to do, give a quick overview. Like, I was in a marriage for 20 years. He was very domestically violent, but he was also narcissistic. And the reason why I say that is because um, even in my own job, I've um, come across mental health and studied mental health. And um, he had all the signs of that. But he he was actually high up in the church and he would present one way to everyone else. And people in the church weren't believing me, even though he has broken my bones, he has raped me, he has done all those kind of things. And we are divorced now. He divorced me. I was I always believed in covenant and I was always told that you stand and believe. Um, with you know, I had friends in marriage ministry who said that to me, but then other people in the church were saying, Oh no, leave him and I did leave him and I did kick him out. But he had an affair and he said to me, If you had a, one of the last things he said to me, if you had a lost weight I'd still be attracted to you which shattered my self-esteem and I had to find myself in Christ again but I did find that in the church it's very hard to go in the church you feel like this divorced married woman when you're separated and even when you're divorced you, you kind of don't know who you are anymore and there's a lot of people who hear your story and they think well how do we help that person they don't they actually don't know how to help that person or help you sorry and um he actually um, still tries to, he still, every month or so, he'll send me a message saying he loves me and would like to reconcile with me and all this sort of stuff, but yet I don't see change in him. Other people see the 
you know, the pres- what he presents to other to people, the narcissistic side. Rebecca, you're but sharing I, some really deep and intimate things here. Um, let's get a thought or two from Faye as to what what is standing out in as you're telling your story. What it is that needs to be perhaps yeah. um, addressed. It, when you are referring to narcissistic traits, I must say. When an individual is behaving like your husband or is a sex addict or pornography addict or um, treating you like an object, as you said, is treating you like an object. If you look like this, I would not do that. I must say to all the intimate partners, you did not cause this and you can never, ever cure this. His problems predates your relationship please don't take responsibility you are zero you have zero responsibility i'm sorry he was this person way before you met him and people who have got sexual addiction or pornography addiction they develop narcissistic traits majority after effective recovery they get rid of those traits as they replace them with empathy but some true narcissists will always stay true narcissists. And unfortunately, the intimate partners are the ones who are left to pay the price without effective and adequate, effective help from their communities and their professionals. Rebecca and Dolby, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open 1-800-316-316. Before we take another call... Uh, Listeners will note, uh, mostly women have called through, all women have called through this morning. Um, When we talk about, some people say men's brains are wired differently to women's brains. Uh, I've read things that say there's no difference at all. Uh, But men do appear to be much more affected by the lust that comes with this foundation of pornography. How do you describe differences here, Faye? Based on research, before the pandemic or COVID pandemic, Um, the numbers of people in addiction, sexual or pornography addiction, was four to one. Four men, one woman. But after the pandemic, um, the numbers, even in women, have been surging. So the difference is when a child is traumatized or perceiving some form of attachment injury at a young age, Majority of the times, boys move towards sexual arousal. Girls, most of the time, move toward eating disorder and focusing on their body image. So that's the issue and that's the difference in being, you know, wired differently. Um, And yes, based on the numbers, boys have got more tendencies to become sex addicts, you know, four times more than women. But um, thanks to the availability of pornography everywhere now and the normalization of it, the numbers of women are surging. I've got uh, many female sex addicts entering my practice after pandemic and I am puzzled myself, you know, because they um, demonstrate exactly the same symptoms as the men who are sex addicts. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Alfie in Western Australia. Hi, Alfie, welcome. Hello, how are you going? Good, Alfie. What are your thoughts? Yeah, just with uh, the lady there talking about uh, young boys uh, having that sexual problem, 
I'm, I'm going to tell you a story uh, about the didgeridoo. The didgeridoo is a phallic symbol, and ab- and it talks about a man who had an un- uncontrollable libido. So what he does, the Dreamtime story goes, I'm just going to cut it short, but he actually masturbates and it falls off because he's addicted to sex. Now, to this day, we Aboriginal people don't have an answer for that sexual addiction. It is only through Jesus Christ. Mm. And it is a big problem out in Aboriginal communities, as we know. You know, the, you know, the women are treated as, you know, they get treated badly. And we know what happens in Aboriginal communities when, with, with the alcohol around. But with this addiction now, this pornography, it's right through. But that did you do is, is an actual dream time story about how this man had a sexual addiction and how they don't have an answer for it. To this day, only Jesus Christ can save them from that addiction. Alfie, thanks so much for your insight there and uh, the thought that, you know, you want to align a didgeridoo. There's lots of phallic symbols. Uh, In fact, everything seems to be sexualized these days. Perhaps even singling one symbol out, uh, even though there may be some connection to that and we'd have to verify that, um, you know, might be just one drop in the bucket because of all of the symbols that we're up against. You do draw some very, very good and strong uh, thoughts, though, to bear when it comes to any people group. And you were mentioning Aboriginal communities. Let's broaden that and include everybody because when you add alcohol to the mix or perhaps you add drugs to the mix, uh, you're actually probably likely to be exacerbating things. What were your thoughts for Alfie here, Faye? Um, again, thank you very much for your um, thoughts. Um, yes, sexual addiction does not occur in isolation. It normally has got other addictive behaviors attached to it. So such individuals may drink excessively. They watch careless TV excessively. They are on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook excessively. They have got OCD. They've got bipolar. Um, they've got borderline personality disorder. So sexual addiction is very rarely that comes in isolation. And um, yes, um, once again, you are telling us that in this community, the sexual addiction is surging. Unfortunately, again, based on my research, sexual addiction doesn't discriminate. It impacts everybody, everybody in the society. Nobody's immune. Alfie, thank you so much for your call, 1-800-316-316, although we'll limit calls in just a few moments because we want to really move into some practical ways that you can introduce a recovery model into your own relationship situation. But let's take one more call. Adam is in Marysville in Victoria. Hi, Adam. Welcome. Hello, Neil. How are you? I'm well, Adam. What are your thoughts? Well, I was just, I've just been listening to the um, program today and I was listening to that lady before who who was talking about she was really struggling with these things, but she really wants prayer ministry and she seems she can't seem to find it. And I'm just ringing up. I'm, I actually attend a vineyard church in Victoria and we have, we do do prayer ministry after church or after our church services or even if you want to book an appointment with someone 
in that area, um, a private one. So there is a way. I don't know whether where this lady's from, but um, Adam, she was in Adam, you uh, raise an important there. point, and uh, for listeners in your area, there, the Vineyard Church in Marysville, you've got a prayer ministry. And we did mention prayer as one of those tools in the toolbox of the Christian believer to try and make a start to move uh, beyond your addiction into recovery. A lot of churches will have a couple who lead something like a marriage ministry. Uh, There'll be people who are interested in relationships in church life. These people ought to be perhaps uh, elevated a little bit so everyone can say, uh, that's the ones perhaps I could talk to. Uh, your thoughts here, Faye, for Adam, and he's telling his story about his church. That, that's very, very good. I think churches need to be the starting um, you know, point for the sufferers and their intimate partners. Where they can feel safety in a community and the comfort in a community to go there and say, hey, this is what we are experiencing. And then they receive what the church can offer them and also be referred further for further uh, recovery. The individual needs some uh, specific recovery tools and the intimate partner needs a specific professional recovery tools. But I totally agree. Churches have to be the first um, point of reference for their members. Adam in Marysville, thank you so much for your call. Just these final few minutes, Faye, and uh, even as you're sharing those things and hearing what Adam had to say, uh, church first port of call, the likelihood is that even if your pastor isn't well-equipped and expert in this area, they will know a local counselling service who can lead uh, to some recovery and some help. So, the pastor is the first port of call. That is, that's really where you'd start. Absolutely. So, it, I think if the if the pastor is you know responsible and want to do the right by these um, individuals, they need to act as a um, as a refer- referral system. They need to know where to refer these individuals to, while they are providing with the service and the support that actually church is able to provide. Um, but they need validation, they need a safe space, and they need to be referred on to receive holistic, holistic recovery and grief processing. A lot of things go on behind the scenes in church life that we're not always exposed to. Just because you never hear this addressed in your church doesn't mean there's not a lot of activity going on behind the scenes that are helping various people in your church community. Because Church pastors are often reluctant to address this publicly in a church meeting because it can touch a raw nerve. The fear that you can actually cause divisions and uh, people might not come back to church. So a lot of this happens behind the scenes. If you're moving into this recovery, you've got a discovery uh, or some sort of disclosure that means you're going to have to seek some help somewhere. This obviously is a starting point too, Faye. If we're talking about recovery, for those who've been holding on, how do I go from here? What are the steps that I need to take? How do you address that? So I think I always say to the couples, at the point of discovery or disclosure, the relationship doesn't need to end. That could actually be a 
the beginning of a brand new relationship. Don't lose hope. Just don't make a decision. Don't make a decision to dissolve the relationship or to leave or to separate. Do whatever you need to do to see maybe there is, there is a way out. Seek help, seek professional help, but seek a sexual addiction specialist who is going to be willing to give you the tools for the individual who suffers from addiction and also who can provide trauma treatment and grief processing for the intimate partner. And I'm going to tell you, almost 80% of people who seek my help, those are couples and they have been very, very successful in reconciliation. So this does not need to be the end of a relationship. It can be the end of the old relationship and the beginning of a brand new relationship with the same partners. Let's talk about the couple, because if you are anticipating that you might have to deal with this, a few of those symptoms, a few of those signs coming to light, and you think that there might be something there that will come up, and a disclosure comes or a discovery comes, how important is it to react in the right way when that disclosure happens, knowing that there's guilt, there's shame, uh, emotions will likely hit a high, what sort of response ought you have? Because if you come out with that, uh, I'm leaving you and uh, or I'm kicking you out, that may actually hurt the recovery process. How do you think that should work? Initially, after, um, majority of the um, enlightenment happens through discovery. <laughs> majority. I mean, my research showed that almost 100% of my couples, um, the intimate partners, discovered something and then they turned into a detective because they would not receive the whole truth and their gut feelings was telling them that there was more. So they would go on a hunt and a search for more and more and more of the reality. My invitation to both parties is for the sufferer, I know you're going to be suffering the initial phase of um, grief, which is shock, disbelief, and anger. Try not to be very scary and reactive so the individual can disclose to you more. And to the individual themselves, to the sex addict themselves, please, please, please seek professional help because your partner deserves a disclosure. However, until you have found a skilled professional to help you how to disclose, don't give gory details. Because if you give gory details of your acts, your partner is going to be even more traumatized and the healing is going to be more um, prolonged. So there is a way to do it. Seek help from a specialist as soon as possible, please. Well, I wish we had another hour to continue a conversation like this. We don't have another hour today, but let's plan another time into Absolutely. the future, Faye. Yes. Let me give some websites here. Uh, to connect with Faye, you can do so through houseofhopecounseling.com.au, houseofhopecounseling.com.au. Faye, you're based in Brisbane. There's also the Christian Counselors Association of Australia that may have someone who is connected with the Christian Counselors Association in your town or close to you, wherever you might be, in cities and towns around Australia. Here's the website for the Christian Counselors Association of Australia, CCA. 
aa.net.au. Uh, Faye, I want to mention your books too because there's real help in having a book and you can read it at your own pace and you can research it and you can think through the issues. Your latest book is called The Pain and Betrayal Trauma Caused by Sexual Addiction, An Unwanted Gift That Keeps Giving. You're also the author of some other books, Reclaim Your Life, An Essential Guide to Sexual Addiction and Holistic Recovery. And the Recovery Journey, Step-by-Step Guide into Research-Based Holistic Sex Addiction Recovery Workbook. Uh, So for listeners, you might like to check those out. No doubt there'll be some links on houseofhopecounselling.com.au and no doubt they're also available from online booksellers. Amazon, yes. Faye, thank you so much uh, for coming in today. A sensitive topic. I appreciate your expertise and certainly the way that you deliver that wisdom. Thank you for being with us on 2020. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.